Well, good morning and welcome to everyone who made it out on the uh, snowy, snowy day. Um, I'm really glad you're here today, and I'm glad we went ahead and had services. You know, it's kind of a hard call to make. We don't want to risk anybody's safety or anything, but we're sure glad everybody came out. And what a great day uh, it is. It's been an awesome day this morning. We had a baptism in first service, um, young man, so that's uh, incredible, and uh, just some really cool things that God is doing. Uh, we're in a series that we've been in for a couple of weeks now uh, called Barriers, and we were kind of talking about this journey that we're on as Christians and some of the things that get in the way and keep us from being who God wants us to be, and we've been talking a little bit about uh, analogy of a grapevine and producing fruit for the Lord, so we're going to continue on that, that context, and uh, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, one warm January day, I went out and I pruned my fruit trees. Now, I tell you, I'm not the greatest gardener in the world. Uh, and I'm not, I know even less about trees. But four years ago, uh, we bought a, a place and built, and I planted some fruit trees. It just seemed like the right thing to do. So I planted eight trees. I lost three of them, uh, but I've got a mixture of a pear and apple and cherry, I think. And um, so uh, here's the thing, though. In four years, and I know it takes a while for them to get established, I've never singled, uh, never disappeared. I don't know where it ever went of those trees. Last year, I had one apple, and I, it just disappeared. I don't know where it, where it ever went. But anyway, my trees have done fairly well. They're growing, and uh, they've just kind of gone straight up in the air and looking pretty good, uh, but they're everywhere. They're just kind of going wild. And so I started studying a little bit about pruning, and it occurred to me, you know what? I need to go and prune those trees. Never touched them, never done anything to them, but I really need to prune those trees, uh, and, and hopefully I might have some fruit. And so in this study, though, that I was reading about pruning, it said that you need to cut back at least one-third of the tree. That you cut a third of the tree out. And I thought that was pretty severe, to be honest with you. And I started looking at my trees, and, you know, while I'm, you know, I'm not close to them, I did grow them or planted them. And like, I don't want to cut that tree down, you know. It, it says you need to cut out the dead and diseased limbs, but also you cut out a lot of other good limbs, literally a third of the, of the limbs. And so that's what I did. I, I cut off the top of the trees, topped them out. I trimmed them down. <clears throat> it was a painful thing. Uh, to be honest with you in some ways, but hopefully I'll have some fruit. Maybe this fall I'll bring a big basket of fruit in and show you what, what I grew. I don't, I don't know, hopefully so. But, but when I thought about that, I thought, you know, a lot of us need to be doing some pruning in our lives. In fact, that's kind of a byword you hear a little bit now, doing some pruning or some consolidating, some uh, reducing in our lives. And I think that's probably a good idea because like my trees, our lives can tend to get overgrown, kind of going in every direction, getting extremely busy with a lot going on, but we're not getting much done. I don't know if you ever felt that way. You're busy, 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 but not accomplishing a lot. But here's the, here's the thing. Even if you're very productive in other areas of your life, we're not very productive specifically bearing spiritual fruit, which is what we as Christians are called to do. You know, we can get very busy doing a lot of other things, good things in life. We're going to talk about some of those good things but the problem is, if we narrow all that down, it's really all about what matters at the end. It's really all about, all about the, the fruit that we present uh, and the treasure that we're laying up in heaven that's really going to matter when everything else is gone. So when you start thinking about that, you think, well, maybe there are some things in my life that I, I need to cut back on. And all of us need to prune. Maybe you need to go prune your trees this afternoon. Just get right on it, all right? But, but maybe it's personal habits that you need to think about. Maybe there's some TV pruning that you need to do, 
or some internet surfing that you trimming you need to do, or maybe trimming back your eating some, or maybe some of your personal commitments. Maybe your your maybe your email list. Maybe there's several things you get on. You know, my email list gets long. Good Christian organizations, but just too many of them. So I just start unsubscribing to these places. You know that I don't need to have that to have to look about it, look at it and think about. But you know, honestly, most of us, even though you're maybe you're great at that, you really reduce things. Most of us don't prune spiritually like we ought to. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and how we can do that together. Why we should. And so in this study, we've been looking at the analogy here of the grapevine. It's in John chapter 15, and we read this last week, and I'm going to read it again. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So last week we began talking about this, and we said that the, the garden belongs to God. It's his garden. The vine in the garden is Jesus, and the branches that come off of the vine in the analogy, they are you and I. So you are a branch. Every one of us are. And our, and our connection is to the vine. Without Jesus, we have no life. And we are called to be a part of this vine and to be productive in, uh, in the Lord's kingdom. So that's kind of the analogy that's set out there. And we talked last week how important it was that we remain or we abide in him, that we're firmly connected to him like a branch needs to be firmly connected to the vine to survive and to, pr to uh, produce fruit. And then last week we talked a little bit about the biggest barrier in our lives that keep us from producing fruit, and that is sin. How that sin... When it's in our life, it, it makes us unproductive, and we're actually working against ourselves and working against God, so we need to get the sin out of our life, and we said the first big move in our lives is to give our life to Jesus Christ, to deal with that sin, to put that sin, give that to him, because he has taken it on himself, and to move from bearing no fruit, and we used an invisible example of four chairs, but we talked about how we, when we're in chair one, that we're not bearing any fruit, that we're lost. In chair two, we become a Christian, and that's a Christian life where we are bearing some fruit. But here's the problem is that we've made chair two too comfortable, to be honest. Instead of it being a hardback chair that you sit in for a little while and you want to move on, it's become like a big lazy boy. A lazy boy with cushions and headrest and footrest and cup holder and a fan blowing on us and a big screen TV and that's kind of, honestly, where the American church is at. We're, we're pretty much living in that chair, too, where we're in, but we're not very far in. And many of us could probably identify with that analogy in our own lives. And the problem in chair, two is that we may produce some fruit, but we're not producing much, very much fruit. And in verse 2, Jesus explains that the way that we go from bearing some fruit, which we call chair 2, to more fruit, we might call chair 3, is through pruning through pruning, which is oftentimes a painful experience. So we're going to talk about that today. And let me just uh, throw out some quick questions to kind of get us in thinking about this. Who is it that gets pruned? Jesus said every branch gets pruned. So if you are a branch, if you're a believer, then you're going to get pruned or you need to be pruned at some point in your life. Secondly, when do you get pruned? It's always before the harvest, before the harvest. Now, right now is the off season. No, nothing's growing fruit right now. 
So if you were going to prune something, this is the time to do it and hopefully look to the harvest. In Hebrews 12, it says the harvest, the pruning is painful, but it will produce a harvest of righteousness. So can you imagine God doing so much more in your life if you just gave him the opportunity and maybe allowed him or maybe you did your own pruning? And we'll talk about how we can do that a little bit later. The third question is, how do I, why do I need pruning? And the answer Jesus said is to make you more fruitful. And then lastly, what gets pruned in your life? What do you prune out? Well, we talked last week about the thing that needs to leave our life, and the barrier is sin. And when we come into Christ, that sin is taken away. So we're not talking about bad things necessarily that get pruned out. We're talking actually about some good things in your life that you may need to prune back. See, when I went out and pruned my trees, I cut off a bundle of really good, healthy branches. I mean, some of the healthiest branches, honestly, on my tree, I cut off <clears throat> because they were in the wrong place or there were too many of them. You have to cut back some things, good things in your life, and that's what makes it difficult. That is one of the most difficult things about God's pruning. Now, in the analogy of raising grapes, and I'm no, no expert on raising grapes, but I'm told that every grapevine will have several branches, and every branch will have 10 to 12 buds on it. And when the gardener prunes, he goes and cuts off all of them but two or three. I mean, that's not even a third, like I was talking about in pruning. That's like three-fourths of the buds are torn off so that the two or three that are left will produce the very best grapes. So when God prunes, it could be a pretty severe pruning cutting back in your life. And that's the most difficult thing to understand what God may be doing. And so what we have to do up front is recognize, first of all, that we belong to the gardener. That we are not living and independent on our own, just out there somewhere. That as a child of God, we belong to him and that he may choose to prune us. And if he does, his pruning is always for our good and for greater productivity. And so God may choose to take away some things in our life. He may take away some good things. He may take away a job, for example, that we thought we were perfect at. He may take away a loved one, which is hard for us to understand. But if they're in the Lord, a blessing for them. God may prune our lives. God may take away our health or some part of our health. God may take away some relationship in our life or some opportunity that we think that we need. But God may remove that. And what we have to do is we have to trust the gardener. We have to trust the gardener, and to me that may be the biggest aspect of this, certainly the most important one, just to trust him in what he's doing because he's not out to get us. He's not out with a vengeance and a cutting tool in hand ready to slash you, and that's not how you prune something, slashing anyway, by the way. It has to be done in a gentle way, and God's a gentle God, and God will use his power, and he is a God that works within the confines of our world and our broken world to move us to greater productivity, and sometimes it's very painful, but he will make us more productive if we surrender. You know, in the original language, the, the word prune here means to cleanse from guilt. It means to cut away the excess, to cut away the extra, to remove the superficial, the unnecessary things in life, to make us holy so that then we can truly produce fruit. Now, you might ask, well, what, what's this fruit that we're talking about? What are we, what are we trying to produce in our life? Well, Fruit is anything, any good work that brings glory to God, something that brings glory to God. So when we said earlier that every Christian does some fruit, every Christian by the very nature of their decision and their testimony of faith, that's some fruit 
to bring glory to God. But God wants more than that from us. And so in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about a partial list of fruit that we can be producing for God's glory. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a list of characteristics that we all long for, we should want in our life. These are positive things that make our lives more uh, attractive, that make us enjoy life, bless other people, and bring glory to God. But the list of fruit doesn't stop there because the Bible tells another form of fruit that we're called to produce are the disciples that we make for him. The children that we raise up in the Lord, that is part of our fruit. For the people that we share with and come to know the Lord, for the people that we invest in and they grow and become productive themselves, all of that is fruit that we raise up to the Lord. Part of our mission as a church is to love God, love people, and make disciples that make disciples. And it's something that we're trying to get our mind around to be more intentional about doing that because the disciples that we make are the fruit of our lives. Now, again, every believer bears some fruit, but God wants us to be continually bearing more and more fruit, and that's part of our spiritual growth. We come into Christ bearing some fruit, then bearing more fruit, then bearing much fruit, not staying in chair two. So we want to make it kind of uncomfortable. We want to pull some of the stuffing out of chair two to say it's a part a place to stay, but not a place to park. Place to begin, but not a place to park for the rest of your life. And many people do that. Now, to understand the working of God in our lives and how God prunes, we have to see the difference between God's pruning and God's discipline. And I think that's important because God is a loving God. Like any good parent, he's going to discipline those children who are in need of discipline. So uh, we've got to step up and do that. And God does that as well. But what's the difference between God's discipline and God's pruning? Both of them bring pain, but their purposes are, are pretty different there. For example, God's discipline comes because we are doing something wrong in our life. God does not discipline us unless we have sin in our life. Just like we don't arbitrarily spank our kids just to, you know, keep in practice or something. God doesn't do that. God only disciplines us when we're sinning. But then God's pruning comes because you did something right. It's a little bit different. You may be doing a lot of really good things. But God may prune you because you're doing a lot of good things, but not the best things. God's discipline is a sign that sin needs to be let go. God's pruning is a sign that self needs to let go. Because most of us think, you know what, I'm doing what I want to do, what I think, I, what I enjoy. Have you ever done something that you enjoy, but it may not be making any fruit at all for God? Sometimes we do that in the church. We like our pet programs that, that we have a hard time letting go, pruning them. But they're not, they're not, there's no fruit from it, but, but we, they make us feel good about ourselves. We're do-gooders in that area. So we have to see whenever we're being pruned, we let go of self and what we want. The response whenever we're being disciplined is repentance, that we stop sinning. The response when we are being pruned is release. You let go, and you let God work in you. Discipline stops when you stop sinning. Pruning stops when God is finished with your, with your life. And that could be a lifelong process, or it could be a seasonal thing. God may constantly work to prune your life, cutting out things that are unproductive to make you more productive. So how do we understand the difference between discipline and pruning practically? Let's say you're going through a difficult time. How do you know if God is disciplining you, you're doing something wrong, or God is pruning you to become more productive? Let me give you three or four ways to know. First of all, acknowledge that God's trying to get your attention. 
Have you ever felt like that God was trying to get your attention about something, trying to move you, but you weren't sure what it was, and you weren't sure how to respond to God? Uh, acknowledge that God is working in your life. That's a big part. Secondly, trust that God is working for your good and that God will reveal that to you. God is not a God of confusion. When you seek, you will find, the Bible says. So if you're struggling, you need to make sure that you seek and expect that God's going to reveal to you what he might want for your life. Thirdly, ask God to help you see if you have a major sin or a pattern of sin in your life. You know, the, Satan is a deceiver, so he's going to try to blind us to truth. And it's possible that we might be blinded to a sin that we're doing, and we need to have God take the blinders off. So maybe you say, God, show me if there's a sin in my life or a pattern of sin that I have. Be honest, be transparent before God. Number four, if sin is the problem, repent and turn around. Repent and turn around. Acknowledge that sin and, and lay it before God and, and stop doing that. And then fifth, if after prayer and contemplation, God does not reveal your sin to you, then take it by faith that God must be pruning you. And so ask God to reveal what you should do, let go of and trust God to help you. God may move you from one, from one area that you're just sold on, that you think you're great in, to an area that you don't even have any, any knowledge about, but if you put yourself at his uh, disposal or, or allow God to use you, God can do some great things with your life. I've seen people do that. Let go of some things if he calls you to and embrace the things that God's calling you to. Ask him to reveal what you should let go of and trust him to help you do that by his grace and mercy. So we're going to put ourselves in a place where God can do something with us and can God can work in our lives and show us the changes we need to make, right? So how does God do that? How does he actually do it? When I got ready to prune my trees, you know, I had a bunch of old dull saws and axes around the house, but I thought, I don't think that's what I need to go prune my trees with. So I went and I bought a really sharp pair of, of pruning shears and that were made just for that purpose. And God has two main tools that he has designed for the pruning work in our lives. And the first one is his word, his word. The the Word of God is sharp and clear, and yes, gentle and loving enough to avoid harming us. He's not going to go hacking at us with His Word. He's going to dissect and cut out that which is unnecessary for our lives. Hebrews 4, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing and spirit, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So if you really want to get down to it, you get into the Word and you let the word do its work like the sword, like a surgeon's, uh, more, probably more like a surgeon's scalpel that cuts in and cuts out that which is wrong, that which is unnecessary, that's what needs to be removed. That's how God works in our life through his word. His word will direct our actions and our decisions. The second tool that God uses is his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Spirit guides us into all truth. And the Spirit will actually help us to see what God is doing in our lives. He will reveal that to us, the comforter, the encourager. We talked quite a bit about the Holy Spirit a little bit a few months ago. But he encourages us, and he directs our minds, and he keeps our hearts soft and tender in the process. Because that is so, so important. Understand that pruning is for our own good. It's what God wants for us, for our good and is for every believer to, to allow themselves and submit themselves to. 
Understand that even Jesus was pruned. Did you realize that? Hebrews chapter 5 says, <clears throat> he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. That Jesus learned obedience through his sufferings, what he went through. Now, he didn't have to learn to obey God. He already had that. He's submissive to God. But he had to learn how to experience the entire human experience of life in order to identify and to save us. I believe that Jesus had to prune his life as well. I'm sure that Jesus was tempted in his day to be overly involved in the world around him instead of just doing his Father's will. I mean, anybody in that day would look and see poverty. Poverty's always existed, a lot worse then than now. He could have spent his life trying to raise people up out of poverty. I mean, uh, um, uh, slavery was a huge issue in that day. He could have spent his entire life trying to free every slave. There were so many social justice issues that Jesus could have focused on, but he didn't. Some of them he didn't even speak much on. What he did is he focused on doing his Father's will. He was very focused. I'm sure there were other people in Jesus' life, maybe even his disciples, we don't know, who tried to get him off track doing a lot of good things. Jesus, you could heal everybody who's sick in the entire world. Wouldn't that be great? He didn't do that. Jesus, every dead person, you could make, you could bring them back to life again. He didn't do that either. Jesus, you could feed everybody in the world, every meal. He didn't do that. He did a few miracles, and then they kind of they moved past that. He didn't do just the good when he only had time to do the best. And that's a great example for us in our lives. You know, we need to be honest about that. If we're going to move from bearing some fruit to more fruit, we've got to determine what is God calling us to, what are we best at, where are we actually producing some fruit. Jesus submitted to his Father's will, his agenda, and his pruning. And that's our call as well. God may decide to do some pruning in your life. He may prune your schedule. He possibly could prune some of your habits. He could prune some of the people in your life, some of the priorities, some of your thoughts, some of your possessions. He could prune out of your life. Some of your dependencies, maybe a job you thought was the perfect job. God may prune back some of your finances. If God knows that you can do more with less because you are a part of him, he may choose to do that for his glory and for us to be shown as a disciple of Christ. That's kind of the principle of pruning. Someone put it like this, that Christ cuts away the unusable to make us more usable. Christ cuts away the unusable to make us more usable, and we have to be willing and submissive to his pruning. In fact, it would be great if we took the initiative. And I guess that's what I'm saying is that God likes to work hand in hand with us for us to allow his word and his spirit to move in us so that we make those choices ourselves. Because it's a lot less painful if we voluntarily prune our lives and, and, and don't wait for God to do it, you know? God may do it, but wouldn't it be great if we could be so sensitive, so led by God that we did it ourselves? And really, it's all about dying to what we want and what we think is best for us. Jesus said that we have to die to ourselves in order to live. And he gave the example of a grain of wheat. He said a grain of wheat is put into the ground, and it has to die before it can sprout and produce life and a plant and then multiple, multiply itself with producing more fruit. And that's kind of how it is for us. We have to die first to self before we can be used by God to produce much. And it needs to be our response to him as well to submit. Hebrews chapter 12 says, 
Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Like a good parent with a child that they love. And in the same way, a loving gardener takes the time and the effort necessary to prune out the bad and the unnecessary good to make the entire vine that much more productive. You know, what I realized was by not pruning my trees, by, you know, letting them grow, I wasn't doing them any favor, and I wasn't producing anything either. And so it, even when it was painful, you had to put forth the effort and step up and do that which will make more fruit. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're warned, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The greatest destroyer of disciples is bitterness. You know, I have seen that uh, many, many times. I've seen people in the church, when something doesn't go their way or some situation, even outside the church, they become bitter at God. They blame God for what's happening. Instead of acknowledging God may be doing something, God may be pruning their life, they just get mad at God. They get bitter at God. And that's why the Scripture warns us, do not allow yourself to let that bitter root grow up in you and cause problems around you. Have you, have you ever seen um, a... Um, a weed grow up in the middle of a plant or, or something like that. We, we have some uh, out front, we have some beautiful roses, uh, but poison ivy started growing up through those. And, you know, that's a hard thing to get rid of when, once that starts. It, it, it gets in there, and you, know, you can't spray it and kill it that way, and you can't hardly pull it out with a root. When, when something intrudes in your life and, and begins to take over, it can choke you out, and it actually can be very difficult to get out. So that's why you don't let the root start. Bitterness should not even start in our life. And, and bitterness can settle in if we fail to let the Holy Spirit give us his grace and his wisdom in making decisions. So, so what is it in your life that you need to cut back on or cut out so that you can become more productive for Christ? I would encourage you to start thinking that way and start praying that way and asking God that question. Sin, for sure. When you discern sin in your life or a poor attitude or a bad heart about something, you need to cut that out yourself and ask God to help you keep it out of your life. But you know what? There's also some good things in life that all of us allow to come in that can choke out the best things and keep us from producing fruit. Now, I'm going to meddle a little bit here because I can do it at a distance and it's not personal. Sometimes we let things in our life crowd us and they begin to choke out our faith. When, uh, and I've seen this happen, and I'm talking, I'll just talk about sports because I saw that in our own lives. We moved to, t to town several years ago. My son was really good in sports, and uh, in baseball specifically. And so he was, it was noticed, and he was invited to be on a, a traveling team. And this is about the time of the year that you start planning the traveling teams. I know that. So maybe this is, will help you. Um, but uh, so we got on a, on a sports traveling team, baseball. And uh, we discovered that it was, it was our summer. It became our summer. It became our life, our life. And every weekend, uh, it, it was uh, a game, a tournament somewhere. We drug our daughters all over the country. And, and it was always on Sunday as well. And so we didn't deal with it. I couldn't be gone. I wasn't going to be gone. And, but our son was pulled to team or church, you know. And so we, we, we limped through that summer, and we said we would never do that again. Now, am I against baseball? No, I love baseball. Is it, is it a good thing? It's a good thing. Is it the best thing? No. It is not the best thing in life. And anything that competes with our faith is not the best thing. 
doesn't mean we can't do those things, but we have to understand parameters and, and maybe even make those choices. It can, be, it can be sports, it can be camping, it can be boating, it can be leisure, it can be any number of things that choke out our faith. And, and some people, it's only seasonal, but what I've discovered is that in many, many cases, it's not a seasonal thing, it's a hab habit thing. And people just don't come back. They don't come back when it's over. I, I, you know, I'm not lying to you, I've just seen it so many times in my life. People who have great intentions about raising their family in the Lord can get distracted and never get back to the Lord. So it can be a lot of good things in life, things that, that, that clutter your life, things that distract your life, consume your time, your energy, your thoughts, any activities that keep you out of church, out of community, out of service, that keep you from producing much fruit for Him need to be pruned in our life. And that's hard to do because that's not the way of the world, not our culture. And then there's also the big things in life that sometimes God takes from us. God changes us. And I, I've told you this story, but it, it, it fits perfect. I'm going to tell you again. Before I came here, I was in a church that had been there 10 years, and it was our, it was our family. It was our home, and we built a new home, and uh, we had been in a couple of years. The church was paid for. Um, our kids were in school. I mean, everything was perfect for us. But God began to move in ways, and, and I didn't sense that early on, uh, but God wanted to take that from us. He wanted to take our home and my job and our world at the time. And I didn't want that to happen. So um, there was a couple of churches that came, and they talked to me, which doesn't happen <laughs> very often, believe me. Um, but, but a couple of churches strangely came in one year and said, hey, we'd love to talk to you. And so they came down and... Uh, you know, they said, we, we don't feel like we have anything to compare what your environment, what you're doing, but we'd like to talk to you. And I was like, no, I, th I think we're just happy right here. We're good. And so that was comfortable for a few months. And God tried to prune. He, he wanted me to do it. And I didn't do a very good job. And so God did it for me. And uh, that was painful. Uh, it was very hurtful, just some things that were said and done. And we felt like we were betrayed and let down by our church family. And Still don't understand it 22 years later, but that's okay because looking back, I see what God was doing. The only way that God would have accomplished what he wanted me to do with the rest of my life was to hurt me deeply and to prune out something. I wasn't fired, by the way. It wasn't like that, but the hurt was so deep that we just couldn't stay there. And so eventually God led us to a wonderful place in God's country, Kentucky, called Versailles. And we're so blessed to be there. I mean, it's, it's such a blessing. For us, God has blessed my life, but I see that now as pruning. What God was doing, what he tried to do naturally, he ended up having to do in a way that hurt, but taught me a really big lesson about when God moves. So I want to challenge you. I want you to think about, you know, maybe what God's doing in your life. The more spiritually sensitive you are to God's moving, the more likely you'll see what God is trying to do, and you'll be open to that and listening to him. And you'll be willing to step into it when it comes your way. So give it some thought and make the tough decision to prune your life if you can discern that spiritually. Or you may wait and God may do it for you. Here's the thing. God loves you just the way that you are, but God refuses to let you stay that way. <coughs> Max Lucado, I believe, was the one who said that. He loves you the way you are, but he refuses to let you stay that way. Because he wants to do something incredible with your life. <coughs> you know, a lot of us... Uh, through our Haiti connection, came to know a lady uh, a while back named Diane Cornelius. And uh, Diane Cornelius is pretty well known in Lexington. She ran Ruth's Bridal Shop. 
which was a multi-generational bridal boutique. And she helped literally thousands of, of couples get married, have the wedding of their dreams. Some of them, unbelievable cost. You know, weddings can be very expensive. Um, so she saw probably the most expensive weddings in central Kentucky and was a part of that, swept up in that. But God was moving in Diane's life. And so she took a trip to Haiti, and she saw the poverty and discovered that many, many couples in Haiti do not get married. Uh, the reason they don't get married there is because of the money. Uh, it's expensive to buy for them to buy a wedding uh, marriage license and then to buy the clothes and the, the church wedding and the reception for everybody. And, you know, it's just they just choose not to do that, unfortunately. But their culture discriminates against them, especially even the church culture. In that culture, you cannot be baptized, you can't take communion, can't serve as a leader in the church, can't be active in the church if you are not married. And many of them are living like this in generations, generations upon generations. And so Diane saw the thing that she was good at needed to be done in a culture that didn't have any resources to do it. And so Diane decided that she was going to start a ministry. It was called Raise the Veil. And so she started this ministry, started going to Haiti and doing weddings. And the word spread very quickly. You can imagine all the churches and ministers wanted her to come and do weddings in, in their town. In their town, she was known as a wedding lady. And probably half the people, I don't know, many people in Haiti knew who she was. They'd never met her. They'd heard about her. And so she decided this was a priority. So she was very busy in her business, but she pruned her time and she cut back, and she made multiple trips every year to Haiti to lead in a mass wedding. And it was incredible. I got a chance to experience a couple of them. I mean, when you see, and they don't, they're not, they're pretty expressive over there, all right, in weddings, let's say that. And uh, this is pretty, pretty impressive to see. Um, so she led those weddings, pruned her time so she could go to Haiti several times a year. Then she began to prune her finances because it was expensive, it's expensive to go to Haiti. A couple thousand dollars or close to it just to go. But she also took dresses, shoes, men's suits, shirts, ties, socks, everything you could imagine to outfit to a couple for their wedding. Everything. Money to pay for the license, money to pay for the church, for the, the, the preacher and all those things, and money to, to have a huge reception. Rice and beans. Well, we killed a cow one time and goats you know, were a part of that. So there was a lot of expense, and there were donations, but much was at her own expense. And I appreciated that because I was able to assist at, a, I think, at least two weddings in Mayette, the church that, uh, that we partner with down there in the Northwest. It was an all-day affair. It was huge. <coughs> so she chose to do that multiple times a year. And then a few years ago, Diane pruned again, and she decided that her business was interrupting her ministry. And so she closed her shop, this multi-generational bridal shop. She shut it down and decided that she would focus solely on Raise the Veil ministry. This would be her life's mission. And she trusted God that God was going to provide for her and God would direct her life. And, and we might think, wow, that what an incredible testimony of somebody who would step out in faith and do that. You know, God must give her 20 years, a longer life to do that more and more, right? Her life took a turn. She was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and she fought that for almost two years, and on New Year's Day, not even a month ago, she went to be with the Lord. Whenever she was diagnosed, she and her husband, Joe, committed to use this battle for the glory of God, and they did exactly that. 
Now, that's not a sad story, except from our perspective. It is an incredible story for her perspective, because today, I'm not sure she, I don't think there's weddings in heaven, but if there were, she'd be coordinating them up there, you know? But the blessing that she brought into literally, I think, 800 and some couples that she helped marry in the country of Haiti and changed their families and their legacy going forward. And the inspiration that she brought to so many other people and, and even within our church family, that she inspired people. And the impact that she had on people's lives when they heard she was closing her business, making big money to go to Haiti and pay to get poor people married. The inspiration of her life. But you know what? She knew the power of pruning in her life. She knew the joy of giving up everything to follow Jesus and to serve him and to serve the least of these, his people. And that brought fruit, a lot of fruit, much fruit. I believe it was what God wanted her to do, and she believed that and followed that, and she had no reservations. And now she's rejoicing with the Lord. What will your story be like? What is God calling you to do? Maybe not anything that dramatic, I don't know, or maybe more so, I don't know. What what God calls you to do, but can you dream big? And do you have the courage to cut back on the things that aren't producing anything for him? Maybe that you love them, maybe they're things you find your joy in, but is that really what your purpose in life is for? Our purpose is to bear much fruit for him and to show ourselves to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you this morning, think about this. Maybe God's calling you to something. Maybe God's, you know, just encouraging you to step up or step out or whatever it may be. Uh, I just want to challenge you on that. And if you want to know more about this God and this Jesus who, who loved you enough to die for you and to put a calling on your life, then I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'll be up front here in just a few moments. You can catch me anytime. <coughs> and we'll just take a time to talk about your relationship with him. In just a moment, we're going to transition <coughs> to a time of communion. And this is the time for us to come and to share in the emblems, the cup and, the, and the, the bread that were given to us to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So we're going to have just a time of, of quiet music, and you can come forward, come up the middle aisles, and then go out and, and reflect on that and his incredible love for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. And Lord, God, uh, I thank you for people like Diane who just are, are, have fleshed out what it means to prune their lives. And God, I pray that each of us could create a, a similar story of, God, how we've been impressed by your love and, God, how you've called us to step out and do something. Whether it's major or minor, it's big if it's a calling you have on our life. God, I pray for your blessing on these emblems as we now share them, that you would bless the cup and, and the bread. And, Lord, they would remind us of the love of Christ and draw us closer in our relationship with him. God, that you would draw us all closer to you, not only through communion, but through our daily walk. We would be faithful in every way, and we would be fruitful. I pray in Christ's name, amen.